welcome back from our break here. This is Robert and Tori. And welcome to part two of our interview with Brian Wilhite, a medical social worker. And we're talking about about end of life with uh, social workers and hospice care. It's just been absolutely an interesting conversation so far. Oh, yeah. Brian, thank you so much. We This has just been absolutely fascinating. And, you know, as you said, it's it's one of those things, especially in our culture, that people are typically not comfortable talking about end of life. And what hospice, what we found, what hospice is, is really a celebration of life and a moving on to uh, the person's next adventure. You know, that this is, uh, um, it, it, this is not necessarily the end. This is just a transition. And mm-hmm. um, I know, at least for me with my dad, um, <clears throat> that was, that was so helpful and, and really just made the, uh, uh, made it so much easier, you know, to, uh, uh, when he did pass, you know, to, to deal with everything that, that one has to deal with. Now, um, uh, one of the things that, that I found with hospice care that people may not know is that if there was any sort of issue that happened at, you know, two o'clock in the morning that I just picked up a phone, the phone and I called our hospice worker and, and, um, a nurse would come to the house and would help us with, whatever, whatever. And it could be anything from, um, you know, uh, dad needed some sort of care to, um, you know, we were just unsure about something. We were feeling a little uncomfortable. We didn't quite know if we should um, be administering something to dad, not, not give him anything. And um, just to know that in 24 hours a day, you can pick up the phone, call someone. And, and typically, I mean, they would kind of walk us through it on the phone and they would have a conversation with us, but typically they would say, you know what, let me just pop over there and just take a look at your dad and see how, let me put eyes on it, see how he's doing. And this was, this was in the middle of the night. And that, that was such a help for us. Yep. We are 24-7, truly, and we have um, on-call people that come on at 5.01 in the evening, and they are on call until 8 a.m. the next morning. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you call the number, you get um, a live person, and that live person will do a quick triage. Who do you need a nurse? Who do you need? And then the call goes out to the nurse, and the nurse will show and do exactly what you experienced. We'll talk about it over the phone, and if so, okay, let me come on out. Um, but definitely 24 hours a day. Yeah, absolutely. 365 days a year. Um, <laughs> we don't ta- we don't have holidays. I mean, we we uh, celebrate holidays, <laughs> but we don't close. Right. There's always somebody working, you know, always. And uh, even on the weekends, you know, I, I, I try to keep my schedule Monday through Friday. But I also am out there working Saturdays and Sundays as well, if that's what my families need. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, how do you fit it all in? Need. Because you you also teach classes in social work yes. as well. In, I your, have in three your classes at, free time. at Sacramento University, Sacramento State University, um, I teach. And, uh, you know, this whole Zoom thing has been a, a, an eye-opener for me. And it's, it, I think, allowed me to be uh, better in terms of communication as a teacher because we're not face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, 
And so how do I do that? Well, I have 7.30 a.m. classes and I have 6 6 p.m. classes. And so I take the morning and night classes that most of our tenured professors would rather not have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I I, I take the classes that most people don't want. And I love it. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, my gosh. Now, you were kind of talking about, um, uh, you know, the things that you do and the resources that you offer. Talk to us a little bit more about the other resources that you may Make available to families. Right. Okay. And thank you because I've been focusing on the emotional support and uh, what's called the psychosocial part of um, social work. But resources, you know, <laughs> the statement I get most from families is like, this is all new to us. We don't know what to do. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that's part of my assessment. I will show up. And if they're in the home, um, and maybe if it's the spouse of the, of our patient that's trying to care for them or the, the adult children. Um, and usually it's a very overwhelming and I can see that. Um, then I may talk to them about um, in-home, in-home care. And so either hiring an agency to um, have people come into the house four or five hours a day to help out. Um, if they qualify for Medi-Cal, then a benefit with Medi-Cal is something called IHSS, in-home supportive services, to where um, people can come out for so many hours a day to uh, help families out, to provide, to, to make a meal, help to clean the house a little bit, um, provide uh, uh, ADL care and so dressing and things like that. Um, so we assess if, if the, those kind of resources are needed. Now, if they, are, of course, are in an, an assisted living, those things are already being done. Um, Meals on wheels. Maybe they're living at home mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they're, they're not able to eat or cook for themselves. So meals on wheels. Um, and so community resources. Uh, uh, yeah, gosh. And, and as, soon, as soon as we're done with our, our uh, program today, I'm going to think of 50 more. Yeah. <laughs> and, Always happens. And, and that I'm not thinking of right now. But, you know, the number one resource that I generally and providing our funeral homes, mm, mm-hmm. funeral home resources. Um, my, my question will be, or usually my statement will start as, you know, I'm kind of the guy that checks off all the boxes. You know, my nurses are focusing on your, your medical care. Our spiritual counselor is, is focusing on your spiritual care. I kind of check off all the other boxes um, to make sure you, you have everything that you need. So I don't mean to sound insensitive, but have you or your loved one ever talked about um, what you want to have done if and when that time comes? Um, a funeral home. Do you, do you have somebody you want us to contact? Because it is the hospice uh, nurse that will call the funeral home because mm-hmm. they're going to ask clinical questions name, date, time of death, cause of death. They're going to be asking all this kind of stuff for the death certificate. And family members honestly don't need to be on the phone dealing with that. And so um, our nurses will be the ones. So we want to know who to contact rather than waiting until 3 a.m. and their loved one just passed. Now we're asking them, who do you want us to contact? (laughs) Um, we, we, We already have that in place. And so... People, even my nurses will say, Brian, how can you ask that question? I could, I could never ask them that, you know? And it's like, well, you know, I've learned after so many years on, you know, kind of the best approach to do that. Yeah. Um, if I, if I, if I, uh, 
feel that the, the family is like, you know, that type A personality or whatever, just the facts, ma'am, mm-hmm. then I can just ask them, hey, when, when they pass, who do you want us to call? Yeah. You know, um, the other families is like, yeah, I'll do just like what I did. Well, I just hate to be insensitive. And usually it's like, no, 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 go ahead. Um, and then I'll ask the question. And, you know, a lot of times um, uh, families have already, if, if they're the greatest generation, generation before mm-hmm. us boomers, um, they've already made plans. They made plans 30 years ago, uh-huh. um, and and it's already in place. It's some of the uh, boomer generations that uh, they, they'll say, you know, we haven't even thought of that. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, okay, well, we really should think about that. And I have a whole list in Sacramento County. There's 30-something, um, you know, funeral homes to contact. Um, so I'll simply ask, hold them, the, you know, give them the list. Um, and a follow-up question I get is, well, who do you recommend? Well, you know what, Tori, Robert, we can't recommend anyone. Right. That that that's an ethical dilemma. That's that's against uh, whatever. Um, but I can also I can always say, would you like me to mark off the top three or four that my families seem to use more often? Oh, that's a good idea. And so Great I'll make idea. a mark, you know, because that's idea. true. Well, I know that these places are used more often, and here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, that's wonderful. So for community resource, you know, community resources um, that'll provide additional services for them. And uh, I mean, it, it, it really is kind of uh, kind of one stop shopping. I mean, for it that's, is that's a little yeah. um, not not meaning to be glib, but it 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 really is, and that's that's what we found uh, when we went through the experience with my dad um, is that anything anything that you need on on any level and um, and when my my dad first went into hospice you know the other thing that we kind of envisioned was well it won't be until you know the very very end and he's he's bedridden and you know can't communicate and uh, you know but it was it was none of that I mean when dad started into uh, into hospice care I mean he was totally ambulatory he was uh, very lucid you know they would come in they would joke with him they would ask him about you know his uh um you know his his work past and you know that because dad had worked in the film and television industry and you know he'd say oh well you know i've worked on bonanza and they were like oh bonanza you know and which he just loved he just loved and you know someone who really genuinely took an interest in what he had done you know who he was now what he was interested in now um all of that so uh and then as i said you know it's like everything that my my sister my mom and i needed um they were there you know they were like oh yeah yeah, we we have people for that (laughs) you know and the hospice care people even helped her dad with his congo line he decided Oh, I'm going to get up here and dance a Congo line. Right. Yes, yeah, we got. We don't know about what it. we don't know what was going through his mind at that time, but I'll just yeah, I got I got to dance this Congo line here, and he started a Congo line through the house. There you go. There you that, go. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I, well, I have to say, I wish I had been his social worker because um, your dad uh, was an amazing man, yeah. and I, I can just imagine when he said when he described that, I could just picture it. I could just picture it. <laughs> um, one thing, one thing, I'd like to touch on real quick before we possibly end is just to discuss very quickly about the misconceptions of morphine mm. in hospice care. Good oh, yes. Good um, because along with the H word, um, we have a lot of families that are real nervous about the M word. <laughs> yeah. um, because part, part, of what, part of what's called the comfort pack, which is a, which is a typical um, 
group of medications that Medicare says, yes, this is what, what you provide for comfort, um, is morphine. Mm -hmm. And the morphine is for breakthrough pain, of course. Um, or if somebody has heart failure or, or uh, lung issues and it's hard to breathe, morphine, you know, picture this. Um, and as, a, as an asthma sufferer, I can relate to this. You start to have a hard time breathing. What happens? Your heart rate goes up, your adrenaline starts flowing, and you start to panic because you're <sighs> trying mm -hmm. to breathe. And so that anxiety makes it even harder to breathe. Yeah. And it's this cascading effect. A low dose of morphine actually will help you to relax your chest muscles. And so now you're able to breathe. And then so then now your heart rate goes down, your anxiety goes down, and you're more comfortable again. It's all about comfort meds. Often um, families will say, oh, well, he's not ready for morphine yet. Well, what does that mean? How mm -hmm. do you know? Yeah. Um, because they're afraid, well, I heard, and I, I hear this a lot, I heard that it, once you give morphine, then the person will die within 12 hours. Well, honestly, um, the the dosages that are that are prescribed for comfort are not lethal doses. Mm -hmm. um, no, no, none of those doses are going to cause somebody to die. Um, but do sometimes um, does somebody sometimes pass away after they've been given the morphine? Absolutely. And the the perspective that we'd like people to think about is the morphine didn't kill them. The morphine allowed them to pass peacefully, right? Because they were still going to pass away, and they could have passed away struggling, or they could have passed away peacefully. And so, um, I just wanted to address that real quick because I know when we went and talked about the H word, I wanted to bring up the M word as well. <laughs> no, and that's so, that's very important. You know, yes, and, very and important. so you know, uh, it, 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 anyway. And I've had families say, well, I'm afraid they'll get addicted. Hey, they're 97. <laughs> they have chronic heart failure. You know, if they want to have it every day, so what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They're, they're going to turn, like, turn to Reverend uh, Jim from Taxi. I got to have the drugs. Yeah. I, need, I need it now. <laughs> I can't drive the taxi without the drugs. <laughs> yeah. That's right. How you doing, Alex? Um, yeah, yeah. 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 I love that. Okay. Thanks. That's Thanks for letting me throw that in there. No, thank you. That is very important because yeah. I think that is a, a big misconception. Because you know, you want people die, pass, die. The I'm, wrong words I may be using here, but you want to transition into a calm situation. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, you see TV shows and movies where you know somebody's on the on the gurney and they're flopping around like a fish out of water, and and the doctor's screaming, "Do this, do that, and this," and the person's in agonizing pain. Also, like, and then boom, they're gone. And uh, yeah. and with the hospice care, the whole purpose, everything we're hearing, and what we've experienced, of course, with Tori's dad, was it's about peace. Yeah. It's about calm. Yeah. It's it's letting that transition happen naturally and and calmly so the person is no longer in pain even had the worst mm -hmm. raging cancer they're comfortable they can they can be put yep. into a place where they're comfortable and hopefully not experience that pain as they pass yeah yeah right and, and it was and, and, Ro and robert the the to uh, follow up with that is that um very simply put, hospice care is dying with dignity, and so mm -hmm. there's there's where the comfort care comes in is dying with dignity, not not agonizing, not alone, yeah, um, but is dying with pain free and and with dignity. And um, and you talked about uh, you know um, not not dying alone. That was that was so important for mm -hmm. for my family personally mm -hmm. um, to have dad here at home 
and right. uh, know that he was Good getting you. excellent care, but he didn't need to be in a hospital. He didn't need to be someplace where he was hooked up to wires and in a sterile um, hospital room, especially during COVID times. It would, for for oh, different yeah. reasons, it was dangerous to take him there. But I think even even if we didn't have COVID to contend with, um, it still would have been our choice to keep him here because we did feel like he was getting such excellent care um, both yeah. when he was, um, you know, both when he first went into hospice and as I said, was totally lucid, very ambulatory, you know, was joking with the nurses, um, up until the, the end and all of it was, was so peaceful. And when he passed, he was here and, and all of us were here and, um, you know, it was, it was such a, a meaningful experience for all of us. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it, it's an experience that you you really don't know how you're going to deal with it and how you're going to feel until you go through it. But because of the help that we got from our hospice team, it just made a, a really difficult situation uh, so much easier, so much more peaceful. Um, uh, you know, I mean, really, we we just we just appreciated our our team so much. And, and, you know, you mentioned something about COVID, too, and I'll quit dragging this out. But, um, you know, with the COVID lockdown, especially um, and in many cases still, that if you're in a hospital, you can't come visit your loved one. Exactly. Okay? And with facilities, assisted living facilities, they were also locked down that because of COVID, you couldn't go visit your loved, you know, you couldn't go visit your family mm -hmm. there. And, and, and that's horrible um, psychologically. You know, all of a sudden now you, you feel uh, abandoned. Well, but if you were on hospice, the facilities would let families come in to visit because ah. hospice is end of life care. And so um, families were allowed to visit their loved ones because they were on hospice. Now they couldn't come and visit all day long, but maybe they were able to come in for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And mm -hmm. so they could still see their loved ones. And so that was another advantage. And we had a few people that actually um, reached out and wanted to their loved ones to be brought on hospice so they could go into the facility to see their loved ones. <laughs> but uh, they, they didn't qualify. So it's like, no, we, we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, exactly. One of the things one of the things, you know, Tori was mentioning about her father passing with the hospice care. And this is and when my grand my grandfather pretty much raised me with my, my great aunt, great uncle, my grandfather. And when my grandfather died of cancer, he was in a hospital all alone. Uh, he had the nurses, of course, that were there in the in the unit and stuff that he was in. But the family, you know, there was no COVID back then in 1980. But but it was a different time, a different a different scenario. They didn't have this hospice care. But um, I wish they would have, you know, because it would have mm -hmm. been my experience a lot, yeah. a lot easier, a lot, a lot better. But with Tori, the interesting thing is is with her dad. When it was getting toward the end and we knew it could be a day, two days, three days type scenario, you know, Tori and her sister with all the wonderful services, the COVID, uh, sorry, the, the, uh, uh, the, hospice? the hospice, sorry, the COVID workers, the <laughs> hospice workers uh, were giving. When Tori's dad passed away during the night, they woke up just at the time of his passing because they were both, Tori and Tony were both in the room and they knew and they were there for the last breaths that he took. And, you know, usually with, with somebody passing, you would freak out. Who do I call now? I know we have hospice care, but, but who do we call? And their whole position was 
was about love. It was about they knew their dad just passed, and they were more at peace because they were able to be with him and have that experience. We're here. The family's here. And it wasn't a time of freaking out or, right. or, or yeah. going crazy about it. It was a, a whole quiet transition. Yeah. Very, that was, very that was different wonderful. experience. A different experience, yes. Yeah. And, and that's our mantra um, that we say every time we visit with our families is that if there's something changes, call us. Something changes, call us. Mm-hmm. Because the initial thing is to pick up the phone and call 911 and just be in a panic. And so hopefully it gets to that point to where they say, okay, something changed. I think they're no longer breathing. Let me call hospice. Um, and so uh, hopefully it's no longer a panic um, anxiety thing. It's a, uh, you know, he's, he's finally gone peacefully and, and come on by. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to ask but, a quick question here, uh, Brian, because uh, we talk about transition peace and things like that we talked a little bit earlier about uh, how do you de-stress after a day of working or, or a night being on call type scenario. What are some of the things you do to find that balance of peace and quiet? You know, the calm, you know, you know, I know you play the piano because you, you've been doing that for you know, for 50 plus years, but what do you do that, that helps de-stress you, that gets you energized for that next day or that next uh, situation? Good question. Another great question, Robert. Thank you. Um, well, I am fortunate that I have a great support system here at home. My wife is also a social worker. She's been working in mental health for 30 plus years. And that's how we initially met over 20 years ago is uh, we were both in our mental health agencies and we would meet monthly at the uh, main uh, county building here in Sacramento. And so the reason I say that is being a social worker, she knows how to be a social worker with me. <laughs> um, in other words, we, un- we understand what, e- what each of us are doing and you know providing the appropriate type of support. Um, but aside from that, um, I have two, uh, we have two Huskies, a mother and a daughter. Um, Cookie and Foxy, and I love spending time, you know, they they just bring the love and the comfort. Um, I also build models. Um, I did that as a kid, um, and now with Leah's, um, uh, uh, what I want to say, encouragement, I've gotten back into that. And what I would do is if I had patients that were in the service, and if they're in the Air Force or they dealt with aircraft in some way, I would find out what kind of aircraft they dealt with and I would build it out of wow. kind of my way to my way to honor them. And then I then I hang them up on the ceiling. You know, building airplanes is great because you can hang them on the ceiling. You don't need to have a flat surface to put them on. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that would be my way to honor um, their service and, and, and um, them as a person. Um, teaching is really helpful. Um and, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I love watching my movies on TV. And so just um, we've kind of set up our backyard as our little our little uh, oasis and uh, sitting back there with uh, one husky on one side and one on the other and watching our water waterfall and the hummingbirds flying around. That's what I do to de-stress. Oh. Um, nice. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that self-care is extremely important. That's probably the number one thing I try to teach my students is that they have to remember self-care no matter what they do as a social worker. Um, and so, um, but right now, as a, as a science fiction geek, I'm building the Starship Enterprise from the, uh, the, the movie from 1978 or 77. So, um, but that, that gets my mind off of it if I'm focusing on something else. Yeah, and so, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Brian, is there anything that we have not touched on yet that you want to uh, discuss? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh. And uh, like I said, we could stretch this into a five-week um, podcast. <laughs> um, we, because I just love could. talking about what I do and talking about myself. I joke with people that it's all about my ego, but I love it. <laughs> and um, so, uh, but no, I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate your uh, reaching out and inviting me to be a part of uh, your uh, program. And um well, we want to not only thank you for coming on the program, but from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for what you do. And yes, the, absolutely. And the love and support that you give to people at what is often the most difficult time of their lives. So thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. And well, for uh, for people who are interested in going into social work, maybe going into hospice care, I think you've given people uh you know our listeners some uh, very good direction on on how to how to get there and um because really we the world needs more people like you yeah. absolutely it really Thank you. does yeah yeah i agree <laughs> <laughs> no, um Thank you very much. Um, and again, I do love what I do. And, and you know, and, and I, I don't think I touched on this, but I'd like people to know that I was working in social work for five years before I went back to school. So you can work in social work without having the degrees. Um, and so um, I found out that I loved doing what I was doing in social work. So then I decided to, you know, make that next step. So oh, that's, that's awesome. Well, Brian, I think what we're going to have to do is that music is starting to queue up here. We're getting to the okay. end of another exciting adventure <laughs> of the Good Journeys. I'm Robert. And I'm Tori. And we'd like to thank our in-studio guest here today, Brian Wilhite, a medical social worker who's had a wonderful discussion with us about uh, about the social work and the different aspects to uh, end of life through uh, hospice, care. hospice care. Sorry, yep. I started, I was almost going to go to the H word or the M word <laughs> he was using earlier. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's in a pleasure. We thank you. And we'll be back again with another exciting episode of The Good Journeys sometime very soon next week. Have a great week ahead. And thank you very much for listening. Everybody enjoy your journeys out there. Bye-bye. Bye. So what is that music from?